Just stand, stay standing with me, please. Stay standing. We're in the presence of God this morning. I don't know about you, but I, something just broke inside of me when we sang that hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if you don't know that, do you know what I mean? If you've never experienced that, that, that you know that, that you need God, that it's only the grace of God, that it's only the grace of God that can really love you in the way that your heart cries out to be loved. It's only the grace of God that can set you free from guilt and fear and shame and pain. That it's only the grace of God that can give you hope and a purpose. This life moves so quickly. And that's all right when you know God because actually life lasts for eternity when you know God. And if you've never had that experience, if you don't know the reality of putting your hand into the hand of God, of inviting God into your life, you can today. You can today. I want us to pray for a moment. Father, thank you that, Lord, through these songs, old and new, we're able to lift our voices and something inside of us changes and we can't explain it. It's like a mystery. All we can say is that you're at work. And Lord, I pray for every person who's come here, anyone who's down in the coffee shop or out in the overflow or listening to this on podcast, anybody who's listening to these words, God, I want to pray that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they are loved by God, that they are known by God, that they are chosen by God and that that song, Amazing Grace, which millions of people have sung over centuries and will continue to sing is true for them. Not just in their head, not just in their voices, but in their lives. Lord, if there's anyone this morning that doesn't know that to be true, God, I pray that before they leave today, they'll have said yes to you. And they'll have had that amazing experience that many of us have had. And are having again to know that we're loved by God. You are amazing, God, and we love you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats. Thank you, Luke and the team. Sort of amazing job. Ah, oh. oh, God's amazing, isn't he? What causes people to do the most bizarre, extreme things? It must be love. What causes people to write songs and to make films and to paint art and to write poems? It must be love. What is it that is the the driver inside of all of us, the the longing inside of us, the, the thing that energizes all of us more than anything else? It must be love. What is it that causes more pain and heartache and despair than any other theme? It must be love. What is it that our world needs more than anything else on a global scale? On a regional and national scale, on a local scale, on an individual personal scale, more than anything else, it must be. And what is it that God wants from us more than anything else? It must be love. I don't know whether you've ever put on a shirt in the morning like I did this morning or a blouse if you're a girl, a uh, female. And I don't know whether you've ever like buttoned it up really quickly and you've got to the end and you look down and you think, oh my life, what a mess. Because it's all out of whack. And the reason that it's out of whack is that you started wrong with the top button. And God says, and I want you to hear this crystal clear, that love is the top button when it comes to the Christian faith. That if you get that button wrongly connected, everything else is out of whack. Love 
is the supreme value in God's heart. Christianity is about love more than anything else. There's lots of other things on the buttons. There's loads of other buttons. But if we get this button wrong, we get it all wrong. Which is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 writes this amazing chapter on love. Which if you've ever been to a wedding, you'll have definitely heard it. And he says, and you saw it on the video before the the singing today, this morning. But just before that, in in the last verse of chapter 12, he says, Now let me show you the most excellent way. And then he goes on to talk about love. And he writes to a people in Corinth. uh, And it was a crazy church situation, a crazy cultural situation. And he shocks them. Because he uses some shock tactics and he writes them and he says, Do you know what? If I spoke with the tongues of men and angels but didn't have love, it's nothing. In other words, he says, I could speak with tongues. I could speak with all these amazing supernatural tongues, but love's better. And it was crazy because the people he was writing to, they were so obsessed with speaking in tongues. In the church, they used to have speaking in tongues competitions. That's how crazy it had got. And Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. If you don't have love, it's nothing. Love is better. Then he says, you know, you can have faith that moves mountains. Love is better. You can be an amazing preacher. Love is better. You can give all your money to the poor and you can put your body into the flames to die for your God. Love is better. Paul says you've got to get this right. The top button that you've got to get connected is love. The supreme value in God's heart and in God's kingdom is love. And God says that the single thing that will distinguish whether you love God and whether God is real more than anything else is love. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Doesn't matter so much, you know, our speaking and our music and our, and our giving and our projects and all that we do for the poor. That's all brilliant. But that will not distinguish that we're his followers. The supreme thing that will distinguish it is that we love And when we love, we do give and we do serve and we do do all those things. But it must be love. Say it with me, will you? It must be love. Love, love. Da-da. Okay, it must be love. So why dangerous love? Why Why have we put like love hearts with barbed wire? Why have we got uh, roses with nails? Why have we got broken glass? Why is the kind of combination of these things because love is dangerous because you see to love means it costs you see God so loved the world the Bible said that he gave his only son to God to love us was dangerous to him because it meant that he had to risk he had to cost he had to sacrifice he had to send his one and only son as a small vulnerable baby that's dangerous the kind of love that God loves you with is a dangerous love Now, it's a safe love as well on the flip side, but it's dangerous because it costs. But also, to love means to risk. And when you risk, that's dangerous. C.S. Lewis, who you've probably heard of, he wrote the Narnia stories and many, many other great literature. And he was an academic at Oxford University and he was a Christian writer as well. Not always a Christian in his life, but later on he was. But he tells in his own autobiography about his own life and and his childhood. And when he was nine years of age, his mother died. So as a child, he had that incredible trauma to come to terms with. And he says that what he did over the next few decades is that he constructed his life in such a way as to keep himself safe. He lived a risk-averse life. 
He did everything so that he could keep safe and comfortable and he wouldn't risk and he wouldn't step out and he wouldn't do anything. And then in his 50s, he meets this woman, falls in love with this woman, marries this woman. And then in a few short years, she gets an illness and she dies. So having lived for nearly 50 years in a risk-free life, he risks by loving and she, die, and he, she dies and, and he's there with the pain of that. This is what he writes. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Isn't that amazing? And he says, you know what? If you don't want to get hurt, then don't love. But if you don't love, you are missing out on what you were created for. To love means to risk, and to risk means you might get hurt. That's why love is a dangerous love. But on the other side, it's the only kind of reason why we're here on the planet, isn't it? To love and to be loved. To love, be loved by God and to love like God. And our goals over the next six weeks in this series, and we're excited about this, is two things. Number one, that you would come to know again that you are radically, passionately, extravagantly loved by our Father God. And that you would live in the truth of that. And number two, that we would all of us accept the challenge to live and to love this kind of love out to our world. You know, when I watched the church news video, which I had nothing to do with putting together, that's not a disclaimer, because I thought it was amazing. When I watched it for the first time on Friday, I sat in here and watched it, and God just woke something up in my spirit. And you wouldn't think that on the church news notice video, but it was like a prophetic thing. When I saw the guys taking love into the streets of Alzheimer's, something woke up inside me, and I thought, do you know what? We're going to do that through this series. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but we have got to find a way to take love out into our community. We're not just going to talk about it, we're not just going to sing about it, we're not just going to enjoy it, we've got to take it out. We've got to take it out. But if we're going to take it out, we've got to have it in the first place. Isn't that right? We've got to know what it is to be loved by God in order that we can love like God. And one of the statements in... um. The, the book, one of the books that I mentioned to you, the Wayne Jacobson book, He Loves Me, which I've used here many, many times and I'll keep using it because I love it. It says this, he says this, we will never love effectively if we've not been loved extravagantly. We will never love effectively if we've not been loved extravagantly. And you know, our top values in Western Christianity have become comfort and safety. Those are our top values. If we can be comfortable and if we can be safe, then we're okay. They're not New Testament values, okay? They're not the highest values. God calls us to dangerous love, where we love God with abandon and when we let God use us to love others like that as well. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to read you, if you've got a Bible, if you go to 1 John chapter 4, I want to read a chunk of scripture to you this morning. I'm not really going to talk about this scripture so much, but just more about the theme that it brings out and Here we go. This is my debut. It happens to all of us, apparently. All right. I can read now my Bible. You are all a complete fog. And I I might stay like that, to be honest. Um, So here we go. 1 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, 
Because God is love. See, God doesn't just love. God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. And I love this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Goes on in verse 16. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And I want us to spend a few moments this morning just thinking about the fact that God loves us. That might seem a really simple, basic thing for many of you, but I've known in my, I don't know, 30 years or 20 odd years that I've been a Christian that actually I forget it. And I don't live like it sometimes. And I live on what I know in my head, but I don't live out of the experience of being loved passionately by God. And I want to look at it in two ways this morning. I want to look at it theologically first, okay, and then experientially second. So for some of you right brain and left brain people, but I want to merely suggest that God has made us to be actually both. And as Dan's going to talk about next week, we need to love God with all of our mind, but we also need to love him with all of our heart as well. It's not just enough to know that God loves us. We need to experience that. So we're going to look theologically first. And um, John writes a lot about love, as, as we've read to you there. But also the Apostle Paul writes a lot about love as well. John was a Jew and Paul was a Jew, but Paul was also a Roman citizen. So he takes some of his writing and some of his theology, some of the doctrine, that's our belief, that's another word for beliefs. He takes that out of the world of the Roman world, Roman culture. And in Ephesians 1 verse 5, Paul says, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. Romans 8 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is a forgotten doctrine of the church, the doctrine of adoption. God loves us so much that he adopts us into his family. And I want to try and explain that and describe that to you this morning. And so I'm going to need to do it visually. So Andy Burton, would you, would you do me a favour? This is the prize you get for sitting on the front row. Would you come and say, you are going to be the Roman aristocrat. Because you look quite Roman aristocrat material. All right? So I looked around and you were the only one, to be honest, that looked like that. So you're, so you're like Andicus, okay, in 50 BC. And then we need someone that looks like a slave. Um, <laughs> Mike Sims, <laughs> just come and join us. Thank you very much. And then someone who looks like the son of a slave, Dan, you'll have to do. So if you, could, could, so if you stand here, all right, there's a bit of imagining there with the age thing, because you're probably older than Mike, aren't you? Because if you stand the other side of your dad. Okay, so, so this, this, this is the metaphor, and this is the image that's in the mind of Paul when he writes some of the great truths of the New Testament about adoption, all right? And this is all what's happened to us. Now, bear with me. So, I want you to imagine that this Roman aristocrat, Andicus, okay, and his beautiful wife, they don't have any kids, all right? They're childless. Now, that's a big deal for him in his culture because the family name and carrying on the family name, especially through sons, is a massive deal in the Roman culture. Now, he knows that one of his slaves, we'll call him Mike, because that's his name. Okay, this is, okay. He's got lo- they've got loads of sons. What he's going to do is he's going to ask this guy, Mike, if he would sell him one of his sons. Now, that seems a really crazy thing in our culture. Suspend that for a moment, okay? We're not talking about trafficking or anything of that, okay? Just go with me here. Now, what would happen is that there would be a symbolic 
selling of the son to the new father in public, in, in, out in the town, in, in the magistrate's courtyard. So three times you would take your son and you would bring him to the new father and you'd go to release him, then you'd stop and then you'd go back. So you do it once. You thought you were getting rid of him then. And then you go another time. And then you'd stop and you'd go back. Yeah. And then on the third time, you would pause at that point. Because the magistrate who watched all of this would then declare that this is now going to become a legal transaction. And he would declare that Mike is going to give his son to Andicus, who's going to buy his son. So there's going to be an exchange of money. Give him some money, Ander. <laughs> yeah. Or glasses, okay. And he now moves from this father to this father. So he go back over there, Mike, for a minute. Okay, so stand there. Now that's the picture... That's the picture in the mind of Paul. That's the Roman picture of adoption. Now, I want to tell you why that's so dynamic and so important to what's happened to us spiritually. It's a metaphor, okay? So we're not, please don't go away thinking that this church believes in selling kids and all that. That's not what I'm saying. Please get that right. This is a picture, a metaphor to describe a spiritual thing. So, in Roman adoption, a father chooses to adopt a son. And the Bible says that God has chosen to adopt us. Now, the problem that we've got with the word chosen is our understanding of the word chosen. Now, if you're a lad, a guy, now this might apply to girls, I don't know, but when we were teenagers at school and at lunchtime there was a kickabout, what happens? You all stand up along the wall, yeah, am I right here, guys? And the two best players are captains and they get to pick all who's going to be on their team. And I don't know whether any of you know the trauma of what it is to to realise that the numbers are going down and you've still not been picked. Anyone know what I'm on about? And it gets to the point where you think, there's going to be just me and this other kid. And, and, And then it's just you. And then the trauma of when the two captains look at each other and they say to each other, the one says to the other one, I had him last week. Do you know what I mean? Like, can't you have him? Like, I'll give you a three-goal head start if you'll have him. You know, and, and that trauma of being rejected, that's what we think of when we hear the word chosen. But listen, there are four meanings to the word chosen. When you're chosen, it means someone wants you. When you're chosen, it means you're seen as unique. When you're chosen... It means that someone thinks you've got something to contribute. And all of that is in the heart of God. The fourth meaning is that when you're chosen, it means someone else is not chosen. That's not in the heart of God. So when God says he chooses you, there is nowhere in God's heart where he says, I choose Alison, but I don't choose Ruth. That's not in God's heart. God would choose every single one of us. And when we respond to that, that chosenness of God comes to us. Where God says, you're special, you're unique, you're valuable. God has chosen us for something, not from something. Does that make sense? And that chosenness of God. So he chose Israel, not because he thought they were better than everyone else. He chose them for something. He chose them to be a blessing to the nations and the world. We don't understand that because of our understanding. But what's happened spiritually is that God has chosen us to be adopted as his sons. Second thing, in Roman adoption, the, adopting, the adopted son was a slave, but now he's a free man. And the Bible said that once upon a time when we didn't know God, we were a slave as well. We didn't know it, but we were a slave to sin, the Bible says. We were a slave to death. We were a slave to all kinds of things. We didn't know it. But when we accepted Christ, we became adopted. We were set free from slavery. Amazing. Also, the adopting father pays. This is not a cheap thing. He pays. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son. It cost him. 
It cost him. That's why there's barbed wire and there's nails and there's thorns. Because it wasn't a love heart kind of thing. It wasn't a, a gooey, fluffy, sentimental Hollywood thing. The love that God showed to us by sending Jesus cost him dearly. He did that because he wanted to adopt us into his family. Fourthly, the adopted son is set free from slavery. He's now free and he can live free. Fantastic. He comes out from under the father's authority. It's called in Latin the patria potestas. It means the father's authority. Comes out from this authority, the old father, and he now comes under the authority of the new father. Now what that means for us spiritually is this. The Bible says that before we became a Christian, we were under the authority of our old father, in other words, the devil. We were under that authority. We were under the authority of sin and of separation from God. But now, as Peter says, we have come out from darkness into his most marvellous light. We've come out from the old authority. We don't have to be... The condemnation and the guilt and the fear and the sin, that's all gone. We come into the authority of our new father. Isn't that amazing? That's happened to you if you're a Christian. That's how God sees you, not under the old authority, but under the new one. The magistrate declares this legal. God declares this a legal transaction. It's happened, it's done, it's sealed. He's now, the son is now placed under the authority of the new father. And even more than that, he now has a new family. Take a look at a new family. Wow. All right, amazing, isn't it? He comes under a new family. That's incredible. You know, one of the things that impacts me most about being a Christian, <laughs> sometimes for the worse and often for the better, is other Christians. Yesterday I was with a church and I was speaking at part of their church weekend. They're a very small church, quite local to us here. And just got a real heart to want to encourage them and serve them. And um, they haven't got any leader or any staff. But I tell you what, when I was in the room with them, only about 30 of them, they've got such a love for one another. There's such a sense of acceptance. At the end of my time with them, I, I got them to come out and to say what they love about their church. They were like all bawling in tears. And I'm bawling in tears as well. As these, as these girls who... who who come from broken families, come out and say, I found acceptance in this church. I found like loads of moms and dads that I didn't know I had. And they came out and they said all this amazing stuff and you could just see the love and the acceptance. That's because we're in a new family. And that's what happens when you're adopted. You come into this whole new family and that's amazing. But also he becomes, again in Latin, sway heredus which is all about, about, well, not him, he's over there now, isn't he? But all about that actually now he's come out from this and now he's here. So now he is a co-heir. He is an heir to everything that his dad has. And of course the Bible says that we're co-heirs with Christ, aren't we? That all of a sudden like Christ is now like our brother and everything that the Father has now comes to us. We have an inheritance. And that's all because God has adopted us. All the debts are cancelled. Is another thing that happens. All of the debts under the old father have gone and you're, now you're set free. And finally, now the boy now learns to call someone else, Peter, father. The Bible says, Abba. Thank you guys for doing that. Thank you very much. And so all of that happens theologically. And that's what Paul's thinking. We are adopted. And two girls chatting in a playground and one says, I don't know what adoption is. What does adoption mean? And the one girl says, I think it means this. That when you're adopted, you grow inside your mommy's heart and not her tummy. <laughs> I know, oh. And there's like this sense that in the heart of God, you need to know that that's where we're growing. That God chooses us and brings us in. And it's not because we're so lovable, it's because God is love. You know that, don't you? 
God is love and he does. Now that's all theologically. And you can say that's brilliant, that's great, that's so exciting. But experientially, do you know it? Do you feel it? Do you experience that you are loved passionately, that you are adopted, that you've come out from the old and that you're in the new, that all of the slavery is gone and the debts are cancelled and you're set free? Do you live like that? experientially. I think there is an abyss, there is a gap between knowing and experiencing, isn't there? There's like this abyss that we've got to cross. And I want to talk about that this morning. There are two problems we have to address. First is the fear of emotionalism. I think we're fearful sometimes of emotionalism, but you know what? Emotion is part of who we are as human beings. We are created as whole people, body, soul, spirit, emotions. And I'll tell you what, I felt emotional this morning singing Amazing Grace again. Why? Because I thought, wow, I'm wretched as well. I'm wretched in that, and God has done such a lot for me. And if it doesn't move us from time to time, if there is no movement of emotion, I want to suggest that's, that the whole gospel includes emotions as well. Don't be afraid of your emotions. To know that God loves us, to know that we're a sinner and that we need loving and rescuing has got to involve our emotions. And secondly, the kind of this belief that God actually wants us to experience His love. You know, the cry of the human heart is to be loved unconditionally. I want to give you an illustration from the world of golf this morning. And before I do that, um, some of you guys were out on our golf day. Uh, Zion have golf days from time to time. It happened this Wednesday. I think Dan went and, uh, and yeah, and, and went. <laughs> I won't talk about that. Um, but I wasn't there. And apparently, while the guys were around the, the golf course, I don't play golf. And somebody, it's been reported back to me that someone said, oh, why is Leon not here? And somebody else, who I do know who you are, okay, uh, said, oh, I don't think he's got the temperament for golf. <laughs> I know who you are, and you are here in this building. And I have the microphone. So, so I thought, okay, so I've not got the temperament. So that obviously means that if you're calm, placid, and gentle, you can't play golf. <laughs> wow. That's what he meant, right? No, okay. Illustration from the word of go- world of golf. Greg Norman was once one of the most ice-cold golfers on the circuit. He learned this from his father. And he said this, I used to see my father getting off a plane or something. And I'd want to hug him, he said, but he'd only ever shake my hand. Norman was at the 1996 Masters, golf's most prestigious event, when he made those remarks. Norman let a six-shot lead go during the last round, losing to his great rival, Nick Faldo. Faldo hit a 15-foot birdie for the winning shot. He then walked towards Norman, who tried to smile, waiting for the customary handshake. Instead, he found himself in a bear-hug embrace from Faldo. As they held each other, Norman began to weep. Later, Norman said, I wasn't crying because I lost. I've lost a lot of golf tournaments before and I'll lose a lot more in the future. I cried because I'd never felt that from another man before. I'd never had a hug like that in my life. And deep within the heart of every single man and woman, there is a cry to be loved unconditionally. And God wants you to experience that, guys. God wants you to know that. You might not have had it from your parents. and I'm not going to do a bashing parent morning because I know what it is to be a parent okay and it's hard but you might not have had it from your parents you might not have had it from another man or another woman you might be or have been in a loveless marriage or relationship you might have been rejected or let down by close friends you might have never known what it is to be loved unconditionally but I want you to know God loves you like that God loves you with a passion and an abandonment and he wants you to know it 
not just in your head, but also in your heart. He wants you to experience it. I'm not saying that he wants you to feel it every moment of every day. That's not real. But if we never, ever feel it, I don't think that's real either. God wants us to experience. Why do we struggle with love moving from our head to our heart? You know, one of my favorite verses, which I think is a really important verse, in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Don't even try and look it up, all right? It's an obscure Old Testament book. But there's one great verse. There's lots of great. This one. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that amazing? You know, we've, Luke and the team have led us so brilliantly this morning in rejoicing over God with singing. But the Bible says that God rejoices over us with singing as well. Isn't that amazing? We sing, I could sing of your love forever. And God says, yeah, I could too as well. <laughs> I could sing of your love forever. He rejoices. And it's incredible. In this verse, there's three things about the Father's song. He says, he delights in you. You know, I, I grew up knowing that God loved me, but believing that God loved me because he had to. It's kind of in his job description that he's going to get an end of millennium appraisal. Do you know what I mean? And there's going to be some like, did you love these people? These were on your key objectives. You know, you have to do this and tick it off. And, and I used to think God loved me because he had to, because he's God. But Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus in accordance with His pleasure. Wow. Not in accordance with His job description. Not in accordance with His key performance indicators, but in accordance with His pleasure. God delights in you, not because He has to, but because He wants to. Doesn't that stir something within your heart? God loves you. God loves you. And secondly, he quiets you with his love. You know, he does that because he doesn't want us running around looking for love in places where it can't really be found. Now, that's where dangerous love takes on a whole different meaning. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about some of the ways in which we run and look for other kinds of love that God says they're not the ones that you need to look for. And that becomes dangerous in a negative sense. So he says, but I, so I want to quiet you with my love. So you don't run around trying to get it from other places. You don't need all that stuff. You don't need to be loved in order to know love. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to get all that stuff. You don't need to keep going from one relationship to another. You don't need all that stuff to know that I love you. I can quiet you with my love. And then thirdly, he says he rejoices over you with singing. Sometimes an earthly father serenades their child. And so does our heavenly father. But here, can you hear the father's song? See, if you can't hear the Father's song, it's very difficult to sing it for anyone else. If you can't receive love, it's very, very difficult to give it. So why is it, if God is singing a love song over us, why is it that we can't hear it? Well, I'm going to wander spontaneously over to the piano here. And um, you know that song I just referred to, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, we used to sing it. You know that song? Let's try it together. Here we go. I could sing of your love forever 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 Now what I want you to do is I want you to keep singing that song. Is that alright? Let's try it again. Here we go. I 
Dave's Dawson piano. Now, for some of you, you kept going, but that was that slight, slightly difficult? Like, you can hear the tune and you know that it's there, but when you're singing that song and all of a sudden the discords keep coming, it gets really difficult to hear it and sing it, doesn't it? And this is what happens, that God has got this song of love that he's singing over us, but we struggle to hear it because of the discords. And those discords can be all kinds of things. They can be words that have been spoken over our life. They can be experiences. They can be relationship breakdown. They can be expectations that weren't realized. They can be disappointments. They can be fears. They can be insecurities. They can be regrets. They can be, it can be all kinds of stuff, but they're like discords and they keep bashing against the song that God is singing over us. And I'd love to tell you this morning that if you've got any of those discords in your life, if you come out at the end and we pray for you, they'll be totally gone and you'll hear the Father's song you know, over you for the rest of your life. I'd love to say that, but I'm not going to because you know that's probably not true. But I'll tell you what is true, that it could be that we could start to say, God, I know that there's a Father's song over me and I want to hear it and I'm willing, I'm willing to start dealing with some of those discords and start bringing them to you. And bit by bit, over time, do you know what? I might even hear a bit more of that song over me. And live in the truth and the reality of that. And so if that's you this morning, you might be saying, that's me. You know, I want to hear the song, but I can't. What do I do? Well, I, I want to say to you, you do need to do something. Some people say, just don't do anything. But no, you do need to do something. Let me give you five quick things here that you need to do. You need to trust. It's really important. Trust that God does love you even if you don't feel like it. Because there will come a moment when you do feel like it, but trust is one of the keys to get us there. That's why freedom in Christ is so important. How many of you are on freedom in Christ at the moment? Brilliant. There's loads of people that are on that course. Fantastic. That helps you. That trains you, equips you to be able to trust in God's word and what God thinks about you. It's so important. But also we need to obey Now, I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about doing the kind of things that God says will help us hear the Father's song. verse I talked about last week, Jude 1, verse 20. It says, keep yourself in the Father's love. If you take yourself away from the heat, if you take yourself out of the environment, if you don't ever put yourself in a situation where you can hear the song of God, where you can be inspired by other people, you'll go cold. You won't hear the song. Do something. And listen, if there's sin in your life, That's a discord that will stop you hearing the Father's song. Speak to so many people these days, young and not so young, and they say, oh, I don't feel loved, I don't feel God loves me. And you you get talking to them, and and some of the stuff that they know is wrong going on in their life, and I want to scream and say, you're not going to hear it because you've got all those discords. You've got to deal with them. You've got to get rid of all that stuff so you can hear the song of God. Thirdly, pray. Come and ask God. You know, David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm sorry, but if we don't feel joyful in our salvation, then we can ask God. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, I honestly, when I'm off notes here, I wonder whether some of us actually think, well, you know, I was joyful once, but perhaps that was a gift that God gave me back then and and I'm never going to be joyful again. So I'll just kind of know God in a headway and that's it. I'm not sure that's God's heart for us. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Number four, worship. Worship is so important. Worship is much bigger than singing songs on a Sunday morning. I know that. But there is something powerful about singing and worshipping on your own and together. 
And you know, you don't just sing from a place of joy, you sing to a place of joy as well. And sometimes, and I know there's some of you in this room and you've been through horrendous experiences that have robbed the joy and the sense of God's closeness. And what you've done is you've kept going anyway. You've stood in the way of God. You've worshipped. You've pressed through. And you've come into that experience when you've known again that God loves you. You've connected with that experience of God's love and you sang your way into it. And that's one of them. And finally, we need to wait. <laughs> the word that we don't like. And let me read some amazing verses to you from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 to 24. If you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling down, I would suggest you do not read this book, Lamentations, all right? It, it, it's, not a, it's not a barrel of laughs. But from the message, <laughs> from the message, listen to these verses because there is some amazing truth in here. I'll never forget the trouble. The utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I swallowed. Told you, didn't I? I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? And listen to this. I'm sticking with God. He's all I've got left. I just think those are amazing verses. The reality of like the pain of life. But then, oh, hang on a minute. God's love ain't going to run out. And I'm going to stick with God. I want to finish by reading a little short story to you from a book on love. And this story is about a pretty extreme circumstance and situation but I want you to hear the truth of what happens to this character through this story. Jeremiah Denton spent eight years in a Vietnamese prison camp as a POW. He was released in 1973. Denton has a story that every Christian needs to hear. Can't tell it all here but permit me to close with one incident that says a little bit about Denton and a lot about his God. Denton was subjected to repeated torture during his stay in prison. In an interview, he described an elaborate device that drove dull metal into his tendons and a bar that was manipulated into his leg. His hands were held fast by painfully sharp handcuffs called Hellcats. For five days and nights, Denton ate nothing and slept very little. After enduring repeated beatings, he sensed that he was close to death. And then the writer says, I'll let him tell you what happened next. So this is from Denton himself. One night, I'd been through all of the prayers that I could think of. It was the end of a second set of five days of torture. I said to God, Lord, I have no will, no means left with which to resist. You say, ask and you shall receive. I've asked. I haven't received. I am totally helpless. So I am turning it all over to you, everything. It's now up to you to get me out of this or let me die here. Then he says this, I was suffering a chill when I made that act of total self-surrender. The instant I finished that prayer, I stopped shaking. I didn't feel any pain. It was like a blanket, like warm air. Something tangible came over me. I wasn't cold anymore. I felt zero pain, zero anxiety, zero fear. And the writer of this book says, what happened? Only Jeremiah Denton knows for sure, but I'll venture a guess. I suggest that here is one man who had no choice but to trust in God's unfailing love. That's all he had left. No props, no power, no money to buy his way to freedom or medicine to soothe his pain. Only God. 
And like a warm blanket, the love of the Father wrapped around the body and soul of Jeremiah Denton and brought him a warmth no words can describe. Jeremiah Denton was still in prison though, but so was his God. And that was enough for this one POW to find the will to survive. And the author concludes the chapter by saying, Trust me when I say that you can always trust God's unfailing love. When all else fails, when all others fail, God will still be singing over you. Isn't God amazing? I've been through some things, I suppose, in my life, not like that, but where I felt desolate and hit bottom. And do you know what I mean? And know that God, you still love me. Circumstances horrible and I wish it was different, but God, your loyal love will never run out. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? God wants you not just to know it, but he wants you to experience it in Jesus' name. Can we pray? Let's pray. I want to ask us just all to close our eyes for a moment. Just breathe. Just going to receive from God today. Believe that we already have in lots of ways as we've worshipped and as we've listened to the word of God. And God, I believe, has just encouraged and warmed many of our hearts. But it may be that that song that we started to hear singing, all of a sudden the discords are coming and the blocks are coming. And I believe that God, by His Spirit, wants to. He wants to smash some of those things to begin to chip away at some of those discords so that you can hear and know the Father's song over your life. I want to ask a couple of things this morning. I just sense that it may be that there are some people here and you've never said yes to God. You've never in your life accepted God. You've never asked God to come into your life for the first time. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So just while everyone's kind of got their, their eyes closed, and you might think to yourself, well, I'm not sure I can do that fully. I, I don't think I can fully give my life to God. I can't like say what Mark Green would call a big yes. But perhaps you could say a little yes today. Perhaps you could say, I want to know more about God. I want to hear that song over my life. And so I would love to pray for you this morning. If there's anybody here this morning and you've not ever given your life to God and you want to, you know that in your heart there is a cry to be loved unconditionally and you want to accept God into your life. You want to accept the work that Jesus has done on the cross for you. Then I want to ask you just to very quickly just slip your hand up and put it down again and then I'm going to pray for you and we'll move on. So is there anyone here this morning and you want to say to God yes for the first time today? Okay, I want to ask everyone to stand then, please, if you could stand. And again, I want to ask you to do one more thing for us this morning. You know, there are real sense in this room that there's just a heart cry to know the Father heart of God. And it may be that you, you know, you're all Christians now, I guess, and, and that, that you perhaps have not experienced the Father's song over your life in quite some time. And I want to pray for you as well this morning. So if you, you know, there are these discords and you just know that in your own life, you just need to experience the Father's song, the embrace of God over your life. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. You just know that you need to experience it. And I want to ask you to do something. Just sit down for me for a moment, would you? If you need to experience again the Father's song over your life, just sit down and rest. And I want to pray over you as you sit.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. So, Lord God, I want to just pray. Lord, just over this group of people here now, those that are sitting especially, Lord, I pray that as they sit, that God, that this would physically remind them that they rest in you, in your finished work and in your love. And God, I pray that they would hear the song of the Father over their lives. Even this morning, they'd hear it. God, I pray there'd be that bursting forth of, wow, God, thank you, you've saved me. Thank you, you love me. Thank you, you delight in me. You choose to delight in me, not because you have to, but because you want to. And Lord, I pray that even as we sing and worship now, I pray that they would experience the Father's love afresh today. And Lord, for all of us in this place, God, would we all experience your Father's, the Father's love again as we open our hearts and our minds and our lips and our voices to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. This is the only song we can sing, I believe, this morning. It's a song we learned a couple of years ago. Just the intensity of the words and the passion and the emotion just goes a little way to describe it something of how God feels about us this morning I want to encourage let yourself go as we worship our great God amen the God who loves us so much that he sent his only son for us let's worship him together in Jesus name